Welcome this morning to Easter. Um, just get a couple things out of the way as we get some things set up here. Um, first off, yes, yes, I do match the screen. Yes, I do match the banner. Um, I had this conversation before I left the house. I was guaranteed that I did not. However, I do. So just so we're aware of that. Um, and secondly, uh, you picked the right service uh, because you don't have parking problems. Uh, you don't have a person breathing down your neck problems. You can spread out, and this is far more comfortable than the 118, 120 we had in first service. So you, are, you picked the right one, all right? Uh, so just so you're aware, we have no idea what we're going to do next week. But uh, for this week... Enjoy the space. It's fantastic. Uh, so we are glad that you are with us. Uh, if you're visiting, thanks so much for checking us out this morning. Um, I hope just to kind of make a couple different points here as we talk through the idea of the resurrection, um, especially as we talk about this idea of being transformed by the same gospel. Um, it was something as we were looking at Easter, I thought, you know, we, we come to this season every single year, but I think we forget how often... Um, how many people have gone ahead of us and have just shared the same uh, gospel, have, have been, been transformed by the same gospel. And so this morning, uh, we're going to go all the way back about a thousand years or so to a church uh, that got a letter from a apostle. And that letter uh, actually has a, so much content and theology. And here's the crazy part. That content and that theology hasn't changed ever since this church got it and the church of Ephesus uh, we, it's been the same message, the same gospel throughout time. And we're going to take and read from this prayer uh, that Paul is praying for this church in Ephesus. And I hope that this morning is clear. Uh, I hope this morning you take away the idea that the power of the resurrection truly is for the flourishing of our lives into the lives of others. And that it's, and it's meant not just to impact others, but it's meant to flourish. And that's going to be a different uh, word, I think, that you're going to see here as we walk through this. But if you have your Bibles, um, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1 uh, this morning. We read in Mark earlier about the resurrection story, um, which can I just say, Mark is one of my favorite ones to read. One, it's, it's shorter, <laughs> and so that's always nice. But I love Mark because he adds that statement in there. I don't know if you saw it or not, but he, he adds the statement that Jesus rolled the stone away, and then he sat on the stone. Uh, not many people put that in, but I'm like, that's some pretty big authority, right? Just be like, this is my stone. I'm going to sit on here for a little bit after I rose from the dead. It's just kind of a power move, I think, by God. Just kind of like, this is what I'm doing. But I don't know why that's added in, but I just think it's just really cool, uh, that kind of statement. Uh, you're going to see that uh, the resurrection um, was mentioned there in Mark, but it's also what Paul talks about here in Ephesians chapter 1. So Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 15 to 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. We're going to zero in on that statement, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the one to come. 
And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. As I said before, um, I hope that you take this out of this morning, and that is this, that we are here to celebrate the resurrection of our king who was not uh, able or was not allowing death to have any kind of control over him, but said, I will set the day in which I am die, but I also am going to set the day in which I rise up from the grave. And so we're going to see this morning the power of the resurrection is for the flourishing of our lives into the lives of others and not merely for impacting them. And there's a difference there, and I want to kind of show you that here as we walk through each of those sections. So the first one I want to talk through is more of like a head knowledge kind of conversation, and it's this idea of the power of the resurrection. What does we mean when we say the power of the resurrection? If we read 18 and 19, again, it says, "...having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches and his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. So you see there the great might and great power is, is listed and then it's kind of defined here in verse 20 that he worked in Christ when he did two things, when he raised him from the dead and when he seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. There's two things you see here as far as head knowledge of the power that is displayed when we think of Easter Sunday. We think of Easter Sunday, we think resurrection, and we think of this idea that Christ is now risen. But one of the things that he was able to do in this power was that he had the power to raise his own physical body from death at the resurrection. I don't know if you know this or not, but the, the, the physics and everything involved in how your body is even breathing this morning is pretty important. Uh, you got a lot of things happening right now uh, that you don't even think about, whether it's the fact that you're breathing, the fact that your heart's still beating, the fact that you have like you know, brains that are firing off all these electrons and all these kind of things to make things happen. Um, and on top of that, there's this thing that you need called oxygen. It's kind of important. Uh, and, and one of the things that is interesting when you think of the resurrection, the miracle of this is somehow the energy that's needed, the power to pull off death to life is incredible to think. I mean, if you think of all the physics involved, and I think that's why so many people stumble over the, the Christianity as a resurrection because they're like, how can that be true? How can there be a physical, bodily resurrection? Well, interesting, the Bible actually says there's, there's not just that physical resurrection. There was another one that Jesus did to a guy named Lazarus, and he actually raised Lazarus from the dead. There was an actual physical resurrection, we believe. But, but here's the interesting thing. That's one thing to, well, it's pretty important and powerful to raise somebody else from the dead. I, I've never done it. Uh, I don't know many that have. Uh, but it's an important thing that somebody would do that. It's even more so to raise himself from the dead. And how that works is truly, honestly, in many cases, a mystery. And it's by faith that we, we go into some of these things. It says there is a physical bodily resurrection, but the power exerted to do that is beyond scope and beyond skill. But we celebrate that power, the power over, over death. And we also celebrate the power over death in the second part of that verse, verse 20, power that seated him at the right hand of God. It says he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. It was the power to raise Christ from the dead, but it was also the power to seat him in the heavenly realms. We who have Christ living in us, we are told in Scripture that, the, that this power in us is why we are told that we will, we will be able to have a, well, when we have a saving relationship with Jesus, the, the power that is in us is the ability that, is the fact that tells us that we do not die, but rather we, in the words of Scripture, we fall asleep. 
or, or loved ones who have passed away have, have not died, but they've fallen asleep. First Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 to 14 talks of this kind of, this power in us. It says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. You see, in the first verse, you get these two crazy, by faith, we have to believe these because we can't physically see a lot of this, right? The power to raise the physical body of Jesus Christ and the power that seated him at the right hand of God. Amazingly, it's what that physical body was seen by over 500, the Bible says, after his resurrection and why we have proof that it is true that he rose from the dead. And it's the power that then seated him at the right hand of God and is the power that we will see when we die that we will then be raised with him. Now, obviously, we will not get the right hand of God. Um, we've, we've, if you've been in church a little bit, you, you may have heard of two disciples that have asked for that gift. Uh, they were denied. Uh, so if the two closest disciples were denied that seat, I'm going to guess that we won't get that seat either because that seat's already taken. The seat is taken by the king and, and Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So those two powers alone. But then we see two other powers in this verse 21. Power over uh, authorities and dominions. Let's go into verse 21. He is the power that is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. It is the power over demons and the power over every, under name, every name under heaven. It is the power that is outside of time and space. It's the power that we can't see, but we, we know is there. The power that is outside of everything. And by, what I mean by time and space is he has covered everything that you can see, everything that you can't see. So just to give you a short list, it is power over all history, all human beings, demonic powers, disease, disability, all nature, weather, hurricanes, earthquakes, floods, global warming, all business industry, healthcare, sports, March Madness, Dave Matthews Band, inventions, media, technology, military budget, stars, galaxies, molecules, subatomic particles, cancer, solar systems, 10,000 angels are just a few of the things that he says, I am over all these things. From our past, from our present, he is over all of these things. And I think if we could sum up all of these powers, I think we could kind of take them into one little flowchart, I guess, or one little statement, and that is that he is over the power, I'm sorry, the power that he has through the resurrection. It raised him, it seated him, it authorized him, and then it ordained him. If you were to kind of simplify all of those four statements, it is the fact that Jesus Christ, because of Easter Sunday, was raised, was seated, was authorized as powerful over all things, and then was ordained. When I say ordained, it means that he is head of the church. He is head over all things. Ephesians chapter 1, 22 to 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. It's beautiful. Jesus Christ says, hey, I'm, I'm not just like seated, ordained, and authorized. I'm actually leading the church. And I'm not just leading the church in America. I'm leading the church globally. It says that he is truly ordained pastor of our all church. So, so when you come to Community Bible Church, I am not truly the pastor. Christ is the pastor. He says, I have, I'm the head of the church and I will lead it until we get to celebrate together as one global family in heaven 
How amazing would that be? Talk about transformed by the same gospel. Seeing the Apostle Paul who wrote these things or others who have gone before us, giants of the faith who will go before us that we'll get to sit and, and, and talk and we'll have conversations. Can you imagine a church service? This is just for me. Um, but can you imagine a church service with D.L. Moody in the room and you're kind of like, you are a spiritual giant. Like, this is incredible, right? Or, or, or any of those major main themes, right? You pick yours, Jonathan Edwards, whatever you want to pick, was, was the guy that went ahead of you, Billy Graham, all these people that will be seated. Imagine a worship service that is, that is dedicated to our king, that is transformed because we are, we're still following the same pastor of Jesus Christ. So that's a lot of the head knowledge, right? I think if we come into Easter, I think some of those things, it's, it's good to know. It's important to know about the power that was in the resurrection. And that's not exhaustive list, it's just some. But how is probably a better question. Like, how does this transform me? Like, how does this actually impact my life? I believe that the power of the resurrection is for the flourishing of our lives into the lives of others and not merely impacting them. It's about the idea of flourishing versus impacting. And both of those are the how. So one way of being transformed by this power is, is you can be impacted by it. And we'll talk about that first. But the other way is that you can be flourishing under this power of the resurrection. But don't miss, before we get into flourishing or impact, don't miss the direction of which all of that is supposed to flow, right? All of it is supposed to be pointed into our lives and into the lives of others around us. It's not just for our benefit that the resurrection has happened. It's for the, our lives, but also into the lives of those around us. I want to look first at this idea of not just impacting. I want to talk about the, what is impacting versus flourishing. Impact is this idea of force over time. And typically force over time is this thing of like, I'm going to get the most bang out of the buck that I can. I'm going to do the most uh, outrageous thing or the most um, powerful thing. I'm going to demand the most powerful thing so that I can get the quickest return on that power. Okay? It's dedicated to a short amount of time and the exertion of force to make that happen over the shortest amount of time is actually the definition of impact, force over time. And there's an amazing, uh, I don't even know what it is, a lecture maybe, because it's longer than a, a TED Talk, but it's about an hour. But there's an amazing um, talk by a guy named Andy Crouch that I, I took some of this from. And he, he mentions the idea, of the, uh, um, the idea of power and how it can be misused and mishandled, especially how power and abuse can be mishandled in the church. And it's an amazing hour. And he talks about the idea of it. I think so often he says, I think what we've done is we've, we've mistaken impact for flourishing. And, and, and impact is, is the thing you see a lot in social media. He, he mentions the idea of TikTok. And I was going to title this, this whole sermon TikTok and Olive Trees, but then I thought that's kind of weird. Uh, but uh, this idea of TikTok is an amazing thing because it's, it's typically what you see as far as impact. What do I mean by that? It means you can get a ton of views in a short amount of time, 
And you can get those amount of views doing a couple different things. You can get a bunch of different views by the more stupid acts that you do, and they, they love to follow that. I love to personally follow a lot of those. Um, and, and the more injury, the better. And I'm like, that is hilarious, right? Uh, or you can actually get more from being more controversial, and that always gets you a lot more views. Uh, a lot more hatred, but a lot more views. Um, that happens. Uh, more seductive always gets more views, right? It's all those things that we can do, but it's the idea of how do I... How do I make this popular, get the views I want in a short amount of time? He mentions in this talk about a friend of his who was doing a TikTok video for, uh, I think it was like how to um, work your healthcare bills or something. And uh, he mentioned that his friend got like, he almost broke TikTok. It was like 30 million views. And everybody's like, how on earth did you get that many views? And he goes, I really don't know. It was just kind of thing we did and it just kind of took off. But here's what happens when you think impact. When people see those kind of views and they think of impact, force over time, they think, do that again. Do that again. Make it repeatable so we can get that many followers, that many visitors, and and, and we can actually just keep this thing moving. And I think in church world, so so often, when it's power and force over over a short amount of time, there can be real damage that can be done in that church. Because what often happens in church or in your life, and when I think of impact, is often power then comes without relationship, right? You can get all those views without knowing any of those 30 million people. The other thing that comes is power without suffering, because I don't have to work hard. I just need to create the next big wave and hope that it takes off. And typically, it's just about, again, getting the likes and the views, and it's typically everything flows back to me. Everything flows back to how do I continue to make this about me? Um, as I was thinking through this, um, last year I was part of a leadership training, and you may have heard of this training before. It's in a, a lot of different businesses right now. Um, it's kind of global as far as what they've been able to do. But basically what they've wanted to do through this training was their, their concept behind the scenes was how do we make leadership principles that, are, that, that apply to any business, any leadership place, but how do we also do it in a way that has some gospel roots to it? And they're never going to put those gospel roots out because they feel like that's for the people who are in those businesses to actually want to do this, to actually add the Christian component. But I thought this leadership uh, piece in here is, is interesting because when we think of impact, I think of the two dangerous parts of leadership um, that we've seen sadly in church and maybe you've seen in your own life. But they make this uh, two-by-two grid, and, and you may hate these, you may love these, but there's plenty of these out there, right? Um, you've seen this probably in many different places. But in their matrix, they have what's called high support up here. And then, hopefully you can see this, low support is, is down here. Uh, and then they have what's called um, high challenge over here and what's called low challenge. And, and what they say is uh, as you work through this matrix, you can fall into a couple different camps. And one of the ones that when I think of impact, when I think power that is abusive, I think of somebody who is high challenge and very low support. And they call it what's called dominate. Um, and, and basically, they use this terminology and they say it's, it's red because it, it causes a lot of blood in the water kind of idea. It's those kind of leaders that you've maybe been around that just, they, they don't, they don't want to offer any support. It's just like, get your junk done and get it on, done on time and leave me alone. 
Okay, that's high challenge, right? And, and impact can be that way. It's, it's very, there's no relationship involved. There's, there's very little anything. The other one um, that is the opposite of this, but it's also very similar, is not just the high challenge, low support, but it's the high support and, and low challenge. What we call this is protect. But what's interesting is both of these are kind of on the same line, just at different spectrums. Um, and here's what I mean by that. If you were to see this chart, when I think of impact, I think somebody who is dominant, somebody who says, I will get it, I will get power and keep power at all costs. I don't mind who it, who it offends. I don't care who it offends. As long as I keep my power, that's impact. I'm making a difference in the world. I keep power by pushing others down. And often, unsadly, what we've seen is violation and even violence come from those in the dominant realm. And I wish we could say that this was just part of the outside world. But honestly, we have to be honest and say we've seen some of these actually come out of the church world. And there's been church leaders who have fallen recently that have been known to be in that dominant category. I want power. I'm going to keep it at all costs. Now, the interesting thing is that this also flows into the other side of this, and that's in the protect phase. And this is somebody who says, I will get power and keep power of my own, but I'll do it differently. This is the person who says, I will never offend anyone. I'll keep power by pushing others out. I've got this. I'm fine. I got it. Don't worry about it. I'm just going to handle it. Um, and they protect, protect, protect. There's, there's, and then there's validating of their own feelings, and then they'll volunteer for just about anything and everything out there until they're kind of like, worn out and exhausted because they're on the same spectrum. See, one is high challenge with low support. The other one is simply uh, low challenge, but high support. They're doing everything for everybody. They're making sure everybody's doing everything for them, but both are on the same line about getting back to me. And when I think impact, I typically think that's where a lot of this lands is is impact. Now, what I want to offer though is not just impact because that's not what I feel like we're going for when we talk about Christ's power in us. I think what Christ's power does in us is this other quadrant that they put in there. And they, they categorize it as liberate, right? This is the idea of high challenge, but high support. They, they use the example in this training of, of Sherpas on Mount Everest. And I don't know if you've ever been interested in that, but I've recently really spent way too much time watching Mount Everest videos that I'm never going to be able to do because I don't have the funds, ability, or anything to do that. Uh, so I have to watch to other people. But I, I love it. It's fascinating to watch. that They, they actually have to uh, get to the mountain, but before they do anything, they have to actually acclimate to the mountain for months. This isn't like, I'm going to climb that mountain, bro. I mean, there are guys that get there and they're like, I'm going to climb that mountain, bro, and then they're dead, right? Because they, they've never spent the time to acclimate. They've never done anything to help themselves. They just end up dead at the bottom of the mountain at base camp, right? They didn't even make it to the second base camp. They're just stuck. But what they say in Mount Everest is the fact that they've got these beautiful people called Sherpas, and these Sherpas are actually born there, and they're raised there, and they are actually trained and, and able to take somebody and liberate them to conquer the mountain. And what they give them is high challenge and high support. In other words, they're going to challenge them. They're like, hey, if you don't get your job done, the rest of this team dies. <laughs> That's a big challenge, right? You don't walk into work that day on Monday like, hey, guess what? If you don't show up for work today, everybody dies. You're like... That's a lot of pressure. That's not what happens. But here, that's literally what happens. And, but they're also going to say, but hey, here's the deal. Even though everybody could die, we got you. We're going to support you. We're going to get you through this. We're going to train you. Do exactly what we tell you to do. And don't be stupid. And, and these Sherpas are amazing. They get people up this mountain because in their, in their, in their training, they say this liberate is what we truly are called to do. 
Because as they climb that mountain, as they do that thing, as they knock that off their bucket list, you have ladies, guys that are just like, man, we nailed it. And they're flourishing, right? Because they feel like, man, I, I had this opportunity. To, somebody believed in me and set me up to succeed. And I believe that Christianity, the power of the resurrection is truly this. It is not just I come to, to Jesus and he gives me all these good rules that I should follow. What I get is I am free. I am liberated. He is wanting my best. He's going to give me high challenge. He's going to give you high challenge. Look anywhere through the gospels, Jesus is high challenge. But here's a beautiful thing. He is always high support. He's like, you can't do this without me. Much like those Sherpas going up that mountain, you can't get this done without me. So he's going to give you high support and high challenge. And I say that this is the one category they get right. But let me just add a different word to this word of liberate. And I just want to kind of tie it into where we are this morning of the how, and that is flourishing. If you are flourishing, somebody is building into your life. They are calling you up to what you're capable of. And yet at the same time, they're helping you get there. They're not just being like, you could be a great leader. They're like, you could be a great leader. Here's one thing that maybe could help. And they're able to walk you through. I don't know about you, but I want to be a flourishing follower of Christ. Not in this protect or dominate. I want to actually be flourishing and living fully alive. It's interesting that even Jesus himself in John 10 says, I have come that you may have life and life full of rules and obedience. No, he says, I've come that you may have life and life to the fullest. I want you to experience all there is to life. I want you to enjoy every part of this creation as damaged and broken as it is. I've come that you may have life and life to its fullest. And then he gives us this weird example in John 15 of what this flourishing looks like. And he uses a plant analogy. And you're like, plant analogy? Who uses plants analogies? Jesus does all the time. And so he uses plant analogy in John 15. You've probably heard this, but Jesus says, I am the vine and whoever abides in me will produce much fruit. He will flourish. He will just awaken to new things. That's the power of the resurrection. So you can go impact and go these two, or can I offer another agriculture example for you this this morning and, and give you the olive tree as an example? You're like, oh boy. Yeah, the olive tree. Due to Wikipedia and other many places I've searched, um, <laughs> I have found some interesting things about olive trees. Here's the thing about olive trees when we think of flourishing, and this has now become my new favorite thing that it was actually some that was taken out of this same talk by Andy Crouch. It, it, it's this idea that these olive trees um, are amazing in the fact that, uh, well, it takes a while for them to get to amazing. First off, we can't ever own one in Ohio uh, because uh, it's sleeted on Easter morning this morning. So that's one reason we can't. Um, I think the only place they'll really grow in the U.S. Is, is Arizona, just because they're the only place that is nice and warm all year round. But these olive trees uh, are interesting because as you plant them, uh, they seem pretty useless at first because everything you read on them says that they will not produce any fruit for at least seven years of owning it. So let's say you get an olive tree, you plant it out in your backyard. I don't know why you do that, but you do that because you like olives that much. And, and you're like, you know what? I got the tree out. And every single year you have neighbors over for Easter every year, right? And they're coming over and they're checking out your backyard or you're barbecuing in the summer. And they're looking at your tree and you're like, how's your tree? You're like, no fruit. 
Good investment, bro. Yeah, I know. He's working on it. Year one goes by. Year two, the tree's still there. It's getting bigger, but there's still no fruit. Like, anything? Nope. Still no olives. I'll let you know when they're ready, right? Year two goes by. Year three, year four, year five, year six. It's not until year seven that you get any fruit or any olives, and they say that actually at year seven, you may get one. (laughs) You're like, this is a great tree, Joel. Thank you so much for telling me about this tree. But here's the interesting thing about the olive tree. If you get through the seven years, and as they produce one olive, the reality about this tree is the most unique on our planet, and that is that this, tr- this tree can bear fruit for over 100 years once it's produced. Over 100 years of fruit that's come just year after year after year. Even more astonishing, this picture in front of you uh, is actually the oldest known olive tree in the world. Uh, and many people love to go and see it. And amazingly enough, if you know your Bible at all, and, and it, it, this may ring true as a name that you've heard, but this tree is actually on the island of Crete. And uh, this tree, they estimate right now, uh, is about 2,000 years old, that tree. And every year they go to this tree, 2,000 years old, and that old man is still bearing fruit. Olives like crazy every single year for 2,000 years. This olive tree is amazing because it reminds us this idea of, this is not just about impact. Anybody can have a plant that comes up and dies and it's done and nobody ever gets to enjoy it. This is about an olive tree that flourishes for 2,000 years. This is generations of impact, not just impact for the sake of impact. This flourishing is what Andy Crouch says about the resurrection. He says the resurrection of Jesus is, the, is almost the opposite of impact. There is more cultural effects of the resurrection of Jesus today than any time in history. Do you check that? The, the, the ripple effect of the resurrection is like on a lake where you throw a stone in and it just ripple, 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 ripple. And it just keeps spreading and spreading. So much so that everybody you talk to, there is more happening in response to the gospel and the resurrection today in 2022 than there was the day after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if it was just about impact, it wouldn't be like this today. It would would have been like Pompeii, like everybody would have known that the resurrection happened and then everybody kind of went on with the business. But seriously, if you walked around Jerusalem at that point in time, somebody rose from the dead, what are you talking about? But what happened after growth and years and flourishing, Jesus in his wisdom says, this is about the long haul. This isn't just about impact. He says the aftershock of the resurrection is actually growing, not dwindling. The opposite of impact is flourishing. So the transforming power is is the fact that God says, I want this to be impact. I want this to be flourishing over the long haul. And so when he comes to us and says, I'm the head of the church, he says to us, Community Bible Church, I want you to be flourishing. I don't want your impact just to be in the next two years in this community. I want you to be impacting generations. I want grandkids and grandkids to know of your faith. That's a big task. It's easier just to have impact. We could run a couple events and we could be like, this is awesome, right? We could get the numbers and... But he's telling us, this is, this, is, this is not what I want. I want flourishing out of the gospel. I want years and years of growth. 
one area as we close this morning that I was praying about, okay, God, so you want us to flourish. I was praying through the message yesterday, um, getting ready for this morning. And I kept asking, like, what do you want me to, how do you want me to land this plane? <laughs> like, I get it. Like, transforming us, generations, flourishing. And I don't know where this will hit you this morning, but I want to be faithful to what I believe I was praying through. And, and, and that was the, the statement that kept coming through was the idea of what if, what if marriages at Community Bible Church flourished? They didn't just have impact. They didn't just dwindle out and they knew about that couple or so-and-so, but they flourished. What I mean by that is, is what if your marriage was so healthy that it was just fully alive, that it was just good and easy and, and, and people came and said, man, what is, what is the difference in your marriage that that's making? How do I flourish? How do I have this marriage, this high support and high challenge? We just love each other through this. What if your marriage flourished and not just had impact? And I don't, I'm not going to give you a lot of how-tos this morning. We're going to be heading into a series over the next five weeks about how do we actually live out Christianity in our day-to-day lives. We're going to talk about burning our calendars and how do we just live life like it fully alive. And, and, and part of that is going to be this idea of marriage. But I felt like as I was praying, God kept coming back again and again. It's about marriage. It's about family. Because we all have circles of influence. We all have places where God has placed us. And our first circle is truly ourselves, right? We got to know ourselves to lead ourselves is what Giant talks a lot about. But the second ring, and I feel like this is where God maybe was clear is family. Because the other rings are your work and then your community, place you live, neighbors. But as I was thinking through it, I originally was going to go here, but I felt like God was saying, you know what? What if instead (laughs) we go a different direction? What if your marriage flourished? What if your family flourished as a result of the steps you take this summer? Not just on Easter, but as we head towards the summer, what if we truly learned what it meant that Christ's power is sufficient in our weakness and he can transform marriages and families to flourish for generations, that our great-great-grandkids could hear stories of what we did and how we loved and where we went and that flourishing would go for generations and not just stop here. I believe Christ is saying to us, even at Easter, that we are transformed by the same gospel, but truly his power is enough for your family. It's enough for my family to flourish. Joel, you don't know my family. I know. Joel, you don't know. It's crazy town. I mean, literally, like it's nuts. Like you don't want to come. I mean, you can come for Easter, but then you'll leave. Um, I get it. I get it. We understand it. I mean, talk to anybody in this room. We're like, yeah, we're half nuts all the time. My kids are jacked up. I'm jacked up. We're all a hot mess. It's just what it is. But what if, what if we truly understood that when we give this support and challenge to one another and we follow Christ's example, there is a flourishing that comes not tomorrow, but a flourishing that comes over years. We're going to be talking about a lot of that, like I said, in the next series, but I want to just give you a challenge this morning, and that is just to risk it, just to risk taking a shot and just saying, God, what could you do in my marriage? What could you do in my family? What could you do to to make us flourish? 
And as we talk through that, I pray that that sticks with you. Again, sometimes at Easter, I give you some wrap-ups and here's some things you should do and how to. I'm not going to give you that this morning. I just want to give you that question. What if God has designed my marriage to flourish and not just have impact? What if he's designed my family to flourish this year and not just have impact? So that you may know that flourishing is for, the li- is for your life and the life of others. So that ultimately we can go back to the basics and back to the main point this morning, and that is this, that the power of the resurrection is for the flourishing of our lives into the lives of others, not merely impacting them. Let me pray for you as we close, and Rich and the team will lead us out on the rest of Sunday this morning. Father, we thank you this morning. Um, I, I thank you that you called us to not just nail it a couple days out of the year, but to truly thrive and flourish. God, there is so much right now, mental health issues and anxieties and fears in our nation. And I would just pray, what if Community Bible Church was the place where somebody could come and say, man, they... They don't have it all together all the time, but man, are they real. Man, do they love Jesus. Man, is there an opportunity to flourish there, to live and love the way Jesus would. I pray that we would be examples through our marriages and our families this year. May we set it off even now here at Easter saying, God, I want a different summer than I've had before. And I want to just allow you to, to, to change me, change my family, so that we flourish this year and not just have impact. We thank you for the power of the resurrection. It's what we sing as we close. It's, it's, it's what we have in you. And that is that you beat death, you beat the power over it, and you've given us life. We are no longer slaves. We are free in you. And so I pray we would celebrate that well this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen.